this is Shaheen Chaudhry, and welcome to another exciting episode of How I Lead Change, a podcast about executives and leaders leading successful human-centric changes in their organizations. Today on our show, I'm joined by Dr. Jillian Sidal, President and Vice Chancellor of Emily Carr University of Art and Design. Dr. Sidal was appointed to this position in 2018 following a long career in academic leadership and the performing arts. She holds an honors BA and MA in English from the University of Guelph, as well as a PhD in English from the University of Western Ontario. Jillian is also a jazz vocalist and co-founder of the Guelph Jazz Festival. How cool is that? Jillian, it is an honor and a great pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thanks, Shaheen. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. Jillian, tell us about Emily Carr University. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, I'd be delighted to do that. We were founded in 1925, which makes us one of the oldest post-secondary institutions in Canada. Uh, it's We're also the only um, institution in British Columbia dedicated solely to professional education and learning in the arts, media, and design. And in Canada, Emily Carr University is one of only four post-secondary art and design institutions and one of only 18 in North America. And we have about 2,000 full-time equivalent students, uh, which makes us um, one of the bigger art and design uh, institutions in North America. And uh, I'm very proud to say that, um, that we are currently ranked the top university in Canada for art and design uh, and number 30 in the world in the QS World University rankings. Uh, and over 2,000 institutions were considered in the art and design category. And Emily Carr is the only Canadian university ranked in the top 50. So we're very proud of that, uh, of that international reputation. We were originally founded as the Vancouver School of Decorative and Applied Arts and uh, became the Vancouver School of Art in 1933, uh, then the Emily Carr College of Art and Design in 1978. In 1995, we became the Emily Carr Institute of Art and Design and then in 2008, we received university status and became Emily Carr University of Art and Design. We offer a range of undergraduate degrees, including film, photography, 2D and 3D animation. Um, we offer industrial design, interaction design, communication design, visual arts, illustration, and more. Um, and we're, we're really on the cutting edge of art and design technologies, including virtual and augmented reality. We offer master's programs in art and design and have a number of very exciting research centers. And we're part of the Digital Supercluster um, research project uh, here in Vancouver. Uh, in 2017, we re relocated from the Granville Island location where we'd been for some time to our new home here at Great Northern Way. And our new state-of-the-art campus uh, here is just amazing. Uh, it's beautiful, uh, purpose-built center for visual arts, design, and, and media arts education. Excellent, Jillian. Thank you for sharing the uh, brief history uh, of how it started from a school and became a university and the variety of programs uh, that you offer 
at the university. It's great to hear that. Um, tell us about the change journey that you are leading at Emily Carr University. Yeah, you know, I think it's impossible to talk about change right now without thinking about it in the context of the pandemic. Uh, I, I know we're all uh, trying to make sense of of this new reality and and what change means in in that context. Universities across Canada migrated to online learning in a very short period of time in March 2020. You know, most of us did that within days or maybe a week. Uh, something we would have thought was impossible prior to that. Um, it was an enormous amount of work. It was very stressful, uh, but it also opened our minds in creative ways to reflect on teaching and learning practices um, in ways that many of us had not done before, at least not in such a fulsome way. Um, so, for example, delivering curriculum remotely, I think, raised many questions, for example, about access. Um, as I said, at Emily Carr, we have state-of-the-art technology, uh, and suddenly very few of our students could access it. So we needed to think about how we would continue to teach students skills and creative development in other ways, and uh, our faculty and staff really stepped up to that challenge, and so did our students. Um, so faculty members really appealed to students' creativity and innovative spirit to create ways to do at home what they would normally create in our facilities. And I, I kept hearing stories uh, about this from faculty members, and I was just so impressed by, by how they took up that challenge. We had one faculty member, for example, Mark Johnson, in a printmaking course, encouraged students to use materials found at home to do printmaking. And we have a beautiful printmaking facility here. Uh, and I'm sure the students were, were really missing that. But, um, uh, you know, he encouraged them to do that. And uh, it became very exciting for them to think about how to reproduce that, uh, you know, those processes and technology uh, at home. Uh, another faculty member, Russ Nakauer, encouraged students to use found objects at home in their painting, like forks and whisks. And uh, another, uh, Mimi Gelman, who had them make their own paintbrushes out of objects found from home. And uh, Mimi herself made some absolutely beautiful paintbrushes uh, in that way. And in an interaction design course, a uh, faculty member um, named Patrick McDonald observed the, the really important learning that happened for his students as they were trying to figure out how to how to replicate collaboration in a virtual environment um, that would that would be similar to what happens in a face-to-face -face environment and the kind of synergies that happen face-to-face -face that that can get lost in in the virtual environment and recognizing that this might actually be the way of the future uh, they they found some really innovative ways to do that. We also learned that while the pandemic um, restricted some students' access to some kinds of learning, uh, you know, on campus, it also opened up more opportunities for students, for example, with disabilities uh, who were unable to come to campus as often as they might like, who could now access far more curriculum in the virtual environment. And we didn't used to offer much curriculum online at Emily Carr, and uh, and we now know that we can, and uh, that we need to think more deeply about un universal design and access. 
Um, and I think also the pandemic has has really increased many people's awareness of social injustice here in Canada and beyond. There's been uh, heightened awareness of anti-Black racism and anti-Asian racism um, that's led many universities to ask hard questions about how we're addressing systemic racism in our own institutions. Um, and, and many universities, including Emily Carr, are working hard to address that. Um, the finding of unmarked graves in, in Kamloops and elsewhere in Canada has also increased awareness among non-Indigenous, the non-Indigenous Canadian population of the horrendous history and impact of the residential schools. And that's given new urgency to the ongoing work at Canadian universities to respond to the calls to action included in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. Uh, this is incredibly important work that Canadian universities are doing, and, and I see that work continuing for some time. Thank you, uh, Jillian, for sharing uh, the change journey that you're leading uh, with adversity, that environment that got started from the pandemic that we're all dealing with. And in addition to that, the broader social context of some of the uh, other things that uh, have become forefront, have existed for some time, but have become really been thrust to the front, for, forefront of everyone, um, you know, uh, including uh, the residential schools and, um, uh, you know, Black Lives Matters and um, other aspects as well. So thank you for sharing that. Now, building on the same uh, theme, what is driving change in higher education, uh, uh, you know, across, you know, th this whole sector? Uh, what are some of the these uh, themes and others that are driving the change? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um I think you're you're right that the, the the things that I was just talking about and then you just referred to there are are a key part of that. So I think um, you know these these really major societal shifts um, are are driving many of us in higher education to think about change, uh, to have an interest in in social justice and and to look at the ways in which. Uh, universities can address inequities and systemic discrimination. Um, first of all, within our own organizations, you know, we need to we need to recognize and acknowledge that we're not exempt from systemic discrimination, and uh, so we need to be looking really long and hard at what we can do to address that. Um, and uh, and but I think we also have a, a really important role to play in advancing social justice um, beyond our 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 own universities university communities uh, to our surrounding communities um, and beyond uh, through supporting students, through research, through community engagement, uh, partnerships, as well as through uh, curriculum content, you know, what we're teaching and, and pedagogical approaches, how, how we're teaching what we're teaching. I think this is really critical. Um, I think we're at a, a point where profound transformation is needed to address huge global problems, including tremendous social and economic inequity, you know, millions of people facing poverty, food insecurity, and violent oppression, uh, the climate catastrophe, really, that we are already in the middle of, uh, racism, homophobia, transphobia, so many manifestations of discrimination and oppression. Uh, universities have the capacity and the responsibility to address these challenges, and that makes the, the work we all do uh, within our institutions, um, you know, just very important and uh, and um, 
very exciting. Uh, in in Canada, a focus on on reconciliation, on on centering Indigenous knowledges in our curricula, in our pedagogy, and in our systems and operations um, will be incredibly important and transformational in the coming years. So many universities are doing this work, and I think it's going to be amazing to see how universities are transformed and are transformative as a result of this work. I think climate change is also going to be a driver of change in universities, again, both in terms of how we think about doing things differently within our organizations. For example, many of us are looking at becoming carbon neutral. Um, and again, in our curricula, uh, changing to reflect the need to focus our attention on issues related to the environment. Um, this is obviously urgent work, and universities are and will be engaged in many different ways to address this incredibly difficult challenge. Um, I would say technology is also driving change in all kinds of ways. It's changing what we teach. Uh, uh, at Emily Carr, uh, in our design programs, for example, uh, we're increasingly focused on digital technology, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, big data analysis, and artificial intelligence will also continue to be very important. Um, in terms of how we deliver curriculum, as I was saying earlier, we've obviously learned a lot from the shift to remote learning during the pandemic. And I think we're all still doing the analysis of that and, and thinking about what aspects of that we want to retain. You know, we're hearing um, that many students uh, do not want to continue with 100% remote learning, um, but many have indicated that they would like a mix, a, a greater mix than was previously available to them. Um, but they still also indicate that they want face-to-face -face learning experiences. And I think that's something that's not going to change, uh, that there remains something incredibly valuable about students and faculty and technicians and staff being together in the same space, um, that there, there are synergies that happen in person that are different from what happens online. And, uh, and, and there are all the opportunities for learning that occur on campus, um, not just inside the classroom you know, studio or lab, but also outside and the other kinds of interactions that happen on a campus. Great. Uh, in your leadership role, Jillian, what are the strategies uh, you use to help people adapt to change at Emily Carr and, and what's been the impact? You, you talked about all these changes and I mean, we're going through some times of massive change uh, so how do you, what are some of the strategies that you've used and that have worked? Well, I think that first of all, it's important to acknowledge that the people in our university community, our faculty, staff, and students are often the ones driving change. So it isn't necessarily a, a, a situation where where the leadership in the university is is um, pushing change that, that people aren't already thinking about. Uh, for example, we have a, a climate action task force um, here at Emily Carr that I do sit on, but it's led out, it's co-chaired by uh, two faculty members and a student. And that's proving to be a really um, really productive way to approach that work and and to um, draw on the expertise of so many of uh, of our faculty, staff, and students. Um, so I think it's it's really important to be able to tap into that and to learn from that and to facilitate that. And um, 
universities' organizational structures are not necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily lend themselves to that. You know, they're they're fairly hierarchical as they're currently uh, organized. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to think about ways to foster collaboration across the university. Um, and, you know, as I said, universities aren't always good at that. And so we need to be, or they're not set up for that, maybe is a better way of saying it. And so we need to be really intentional about that and how we can facilitate that happening. Uh, we're also about to launch a strategic planning process at Emily Carr that I hope will will model and, and manifest collaboration across the university uh, as we come together to articulate a vision of the university as we see it now, five years from now, even 10 or, or, or 20 or 50 years from now. Um, I think when a university does embark on a significant change process, even when that is something that emerges from a collaborative strategic planning process, for example, uh, there still may be some anxiety or resistance among some to to that change or those changes. And so I, I think it's really important as well uh, to provide lots of communication about how change is going to occur, lots of transparency in the process and ongoing opportunities for feedback and, and really to see to see it as, as much as possible as an as an iterative uh, process. Great, uh, Jillian. What one piece of advice would you give other leaders on the importance of managing change? Um, I that's a tough one. I think uh, I think I would say. Um, First of all, make sure you understand the drivers of change and think deeply about how you want to respond to them and and really rely on the talents and skills of those around you and recognize that the collective effort exceeds the performance of any single individual. Um, that's an approach I try to take with my own leadership team, you know, to really recognize what each one of them brings to the table and and really encourage them to, you know, to to do that work, to to draw on their own expertise and and to take that same approach with their own teams. Um, and it's a, an approach I try to take with our entire university community, although, you know, as I've indicated, that can be more difficult. Um I think I try to think about how to bring uh, a kind of ensemble ethos to the university work that gives all members of the community, faculty, staff, students, administration, the board, the Senate, uh, a voice that is heard and thereby contributes to the work of the university and, and really the very identity of the university. Thank you. Uh, I, I really like what you said, uh, you know, being intentional uh, and understanding what the drivers are for the change. I think, uh, you know, help really to create that atmosphere for collaboration and involving the, the stakeholders that you just mentioned, right? It's not just one person on one person in a leadership position doing that. It's actually collaborating, uh, even though the structure of university may not be set up for that, but being intentional uh, really goes a long ways in fostering that. Thank you, Jillian, for, for sharing your thoughts and stories of uh, your leadership at Emily Carr University. Oh, Shaheen, thanks so much. It's really been a pleasure to chat with you today. Well, that is all for today's episode of How I Lead Change. I hope that you can take what you've learned from Jillian today and incorporate that into your own leadership style. 
Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Now go out there and be successful at change. Thank you.